Welcome to Social Anxiety Solutions, your journey to social confidence. My name is Sebastian van der Schrier, and I'm an ex-social anxiety disorder sufferer. Now, thanks to a new and emerging field called energy psychology, as well as the help of some brilliant therapists and a lot of persistence, um, I've been able to become free of my social anxiety. So I'm now calm and relaxed in social situations, basically just normal. Now, on this show, I interview a different expert every month, roughly, to explore uh, different social anxiety solutions from both Western traditional psychology as well as energy psychology. So each week we'll put new tools into your toolkit to enhance your social confidence. Now, today I'm interviewing a returning guest on the show. His name is Dr. David Lake, and we'll be talking about the topic of vulnerability in relationships. Now, if you don't know David, here's a bit about him. David is a medical practitioner and psychotherapist who is mostly retired now. But um, he's been in private practice since 1977, and he completed 17 years of medical hypnosis, four years of analytic psychotherapy, as well as comprehensive training in provocative therapy. He's the author of several books, including Strategies for Stress and She'll Be Right, a book on relationships for men. And together with psychologist and former guest on the show, Steve Wells, he's the originator of SET, Simple Energy Techniques, and PET, Provocative Energy Techniques. He's also a supervisor of therapists, supervises me here and there, and is known for his expertise on relationships. So that's going to be... Um, an exciting topic to discuss with him. So, David, thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, pleasure, Sebastian. Hmm. So, um, yeah, maybe to just kick it off with uh, <clears throat> what is vulnerability and why is it important for healthy relationships? Well, uh, it describes a feeling, but it's actually a, a descriptive term. It's People use the word a lot. But actually, they're probably talking about a number of other things. They're probably talking about a certain fear that people have around intimacy or being close. They're talking about the fear of being hurt. That would have to be the number one fear in a relationship of any kind. They're also talking about acceptance and self-acceptance very hard to have a good relationship if you don't accept yourself sufficiently mm. makes it hard for you to accept the other person as well mm. and I guess there's uh, a lot to be said about the subject of being authentic because most people do feel vulnerable when it comes to exposing their true feelings there was a famous analyst and therapist called Donald Winnicott who coined the idea, the concept of the true self and the false self. The true self is your real, authentic self. And then you have your defenses to protect your true self from being hurt and injured, which is a very common experience to be, to be hurt and injured. So I guess the word vulnerable means, in a way, you'd like to expose your true self to your partner and be authentic and be accepting and accepted by your partner but there's a fear the real fear of being hurt that's the number one reason that people actually don't achieve true intimacy in a relationship mm. because of that fear 
and everybody suffers from it to a degree. I've never met anyone who doesn't suffer from some of that. Hmm. And, um, you know, people with social anxiety, <laughs> including myself, tend to have, uh, you know, a bit more trouble with vulnerability. You kind of alluded it uh, to to why that might be the case already earlier, you know, a problem with self-acceptance and, you know, worries about getting hurt and not feeling safe to be your authentic self in a relationship. Um, are there any other reasons that you can think of for why people, or, or at least talk a bit more about those reasons for why people have trouble with vulnerability when they suffer from social anxiety? Well, yes, they just have a far more magnified and uh, technical version of what everybody else has a degree of, that fear of being hurt and humiliated and uh, losing your, your confidence about um, whether you're good enough, the, the fear of not being good enough. That negative belief is actually almost universal. Mm. Um, if you ask groups of people what... Um, is something negative they can say about themselves. They start off nice and slowly, a bit. Oh well, I'm I, I'm too fat, or I uh, I don't know how to conduct myself in certain situations, or uh, I should have said this and I should have said that. But sooner or later, someone says I'm I'm not good enough, and the whole group lets off this collective groan of agony because that's actually the root cause of nearly everything. Mm. The feeling, the, the negative belief that you're just not good enough. I personally think it comes from a whole lifetime of, of being born and raised in a culture that actually rewards you for what you do and not for who you are. Mm. So you're only as good as what you can do for people and criticism, of course, being the, the arsenic of relationships. You get criticised for things that you do that other people don't agree with and you immediately interpret it as not feeling good enough. I'm not good enough, I didn't do it right. So the concepts of right and wrong and other people's rules are all mixed up with this identity people have, which is a negative identity. It'd be a rare event for a parent to grab a child when they're passing by and say, I just want to tell you, I think you're really great the way you are. Don't change a thing. <laughs> That'll be the day. <laughs> more like it's uh, or dad wants to see you and you think oh god what have I done now or what have I not done and there it is in relationships you know it's conditional love the things you do and the things you fail to do rather than the way you are mm. many years ago I was having a lot of doubts about um, my worth as a parent because with four daughters you know I was uh, very busy doing a whole lot of wrong things and I went to see a colleague for some help And I mainly went to see him because he was a father himself. And he heard me out and he he listened carefully to what I told him. But he said, well, it's not what you say in, in your family life, although you have to find the right words. And he said, it's not what you do, although you have to show up and be on time and pull your weight. He said, in the end, it's just the way you are. And if your kids grow up knowing that you actually like them, he says, I call that success. It's massive weight lifted off my shoulders mm. because the constant uh, recrimination people have when they can't do the right thing all the time is just enormous. 
and, and people feel quite guilty about that if they're trying to have a good relationship. If they're not, it doesn't matter. I mean, <laughs> I have a lot of mothers come to see me and they're worried that they're a bad mother. This, of course, is, is almost universal. But I tell them straight up, hey, I know you're not a bad mother, I have proof. And one of them the other day said, well, how do, how do you know? I haven't told you anything. I said, well, if you were a bad mother, you wouldn't care less. It's only the good mothers that worry about these things. Yeah. And that's the truth. <laughs> that show up on your doorstep, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which is a roundabout way of saying um, the issue of vulnerability is has got massive attachments to all these other concepts of that identity and negative self-belief and all the rest of it. It's the human condition, actually, in a negative sense. Um, Frank Froelich says all behaviours in context. So the implication is that you can choose to be vulnerable to someone in a relationship who you trust and who you know loves you. Okay, in theory, that's fine. But if that person should criticise you and, and hurt you and blame you and find fault with you, as is pretty much the case occasionally for everybody, then you're not inclined to be that vulnerable again in a hurry. It's a very painful wound. So you have to be quite uh, resilient. You have to be quite tough. This, of course, is completely forgetting the fact that you're dishing out the same treatment to your partner. Everybody's focused on who's giving them a kicking, but they completely forget about how they actually hurt their partner. It's all very illuminating when you have two people in the one room. Hmm. And is, is is that how people start to disconnect from each other? Yes. It's not that they want to. It's just that they can't actually make the strongest possible connection. And then, you know, life conspires to actually weaken your connection. The amount of one-to-one face time that couples have in a 24-hour period as someone worked it out is around 39 minutes for your average nuclear family and that's how you're supposed to run a relationship on those 39 minutes of quality time whatever that means it's just not happening you know you've, this is of course the same time as you've got to work out all your problems and have a good old moan to your partner and work out who's cooking dinner it's just not working it's just not enough mm. Um, <clears throat> when when you're uh, a person listening to this, uh, you know, for the people listening to this who have social anxiety, who think, uh, okay, you know, I, I probably have troubles with vulnerability as well. Um, what, like, what are telltale signs, or how, how do you know you're you're struggling with this? Um, that's a big question. I guess the short answer is. You're doing your best, and you can tell from the way other people are receiving it that it's not working very well. Like your partner's complaining or giving you a lot of heat about your behaviour or what you have or haven't done. Um, it might be that you haven't got a good agreement with your partner and there's a lot of mutual criticism, which does a lot of good work. What I'm trying to say here is that uh, there's no single answer. It's very hard to know how you're going to come across to another person and how they're going to receive you. 
this is why it's a lot of work in relationship. It's good to check. You have to check. So my short answer is don't be too concerned about what you're doing as long as your conscience is clear and you're basically a good person. Make extra special efforts to check how it's received because your partner may not receive it in the fashion you give it. Um, Steve Wells tells a story publicly about how he very often likes to tell his wife that he loves her. But she's not an auditory person. She's more of a visual person. And those words don't have a big impact for her. She really wants to be taken out and wined and dined. She wants to see the bright lights. She doesn't need those words like Steve needs those words because he's he, like me, is a very auditory person. So that's an example of how you can make mistakes without even knowing it. But I think the essence of your question is for a, um, someone who hasn't got their complete confidence socially, how are they ever going to know that things are, shall we say, not working out too well? Well, they're going to feel a little overwhelmed. They're going to feel a little extra tension and stress. A lot of situations call for them to step up and make an extra effort. And this just doesn't apply to people who have anxiety. It applies to everybody. Um, I came home a couple of years ago and uh, my wife came home after me and then we're chatting as usual and she says to me, you, you didn't ask me how my day was. I really hate that phrase, how was your day? I just hate it. Anyway, I said, are you serious? We talk about everything. You want me to say, how was your day? She says, yes. I mean, we've been married 44 years. I said, and I'm thinking, I can do this. I said, okay, how was your day? She said, I'm glad you asked. And she starts talking and didn't stop for about half an hour. I thought, all right, that's doable. Next day, I asked, I asked it again, same, same again. It was really good. I was a little bored, but I didn't tell her that. <laughs> Next week, Monday, Maya said, how was your day? She said, well, you don't have to ask it every day. But <laughs> 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 now I actually say it. I actually say the phrase I hate saying. Who said that old dogs can't learn new tricks? So, I'm kind of thinking <clears throat> of um, of how to phrase the following question. Like, uh, part of my previous question was a bit because um, it's it's a it's 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 almost like a a pop culture things like oh you're you have a fear of being vulnerable oh you're dealing with this vulnerability problem um when people are not getting into a relationship so um let me see yeah i think i'm with you it's actually uh, once again i'd say um with all respect to you it might not be the correct word it's it's more like being judged. I think if you have a degree of anxiety about all this, you're worried about other people judging you. And 
not not that you don't judge other people, of course you do, mm-hmm. but it depends if you play hardball or softball. I say that everybody's judgmental and you should play the softball and not use it in a bad way or a negative way. So if you feel like you're being judged, then you are going to be vulnerable. That's an authentic response. Nobody likes it. And if it's happening in relationship, well, you're not having a quality relationship, it should be a fairly rare event. It's the opposite of acceptance, in other words. Is that what you were getting at? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, it is tricky. I think you're describing a state, and by implication you'd like the people who listen in to be able to somehow strengthen themselves and become more resilient and not suffer excessively from being vulnerable in a relationship in the wrong ways. Is that close to your aim? Well, because um, I distinguish personally between fragile and vulnerable. Uh, being with oh, yes. fragile yes. being weak and vulnerable be actually being a very nice state like a very warm connected um, loving uh, very open accepting place and uh, you're describing yeah. exactly you're describing the true self as Winnicott described it mm. that's your authentic self and if you could uh, maintain that state in that frame with everybody and not get hurt then that's what we would do the world would be a wonderful place hmm. but that's just not going to happen <laughs> yeah not all the time no right it is not you select the people that you open up to very very carefully and thoughtfully i was watching an american uh chat show on tv late one night last year and the there was a British actor on there, and she was uh, asked by the host, well, what did you think when your boyfriend rejected you and then ran off with another woman? And she said, well, that's private. I nearly cheered. I nearly applauded. Mm-hmm. I thought, of course it's private. Yeah. Why doesn't he mind his own business? Yeah, because there's no such thing as privacy these days. It's all over. But she refused to make any comments, and I was so pleased. I was so impressed. She was keeping it private. Mm. That, that kind of in other words, she was protecting herself. Yeah, and and um, when it comes to protecting yourself and you know how vulnerability is seen in society, um, <clears throat> you know, at least where I grew uh, grew up, you know, vulnerability. Um, I wouldn't say the whole of the Netherlands, but just the the people that I hung out with, like vulnerability definitely wasn't seen as something uh, very admirable and to be respected. Let's just say it was more uh, seen as 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 a as a weakness. Whereas, oh, hang on, yeah, wait a minute. If Frank Farrelly says that's in context, so I take your point. You're right. But if you're talking to your partner last at night about um, a death in the family and you feel like you need to cry and you just let it be that way, then that's what your partner will want you to do. You're not going to be in trouble for crying in front of the person that loves you. Mm. So in context, being truly vulnerable is actually a rare event. 
we protect ourselves, men and women, from, from being hurt unnecessarily. So you're right, but it's all in context. In the relationship context, um, women claim they want men to be vulnerable and they're probably, they probably have a fair claim. But if a man and a woman are walking up a street late at night and two or three tough guys are coming the other way, that woman does not want that man to be too vulnerable. Right. Let's just start there. <laughs> okay. That landed the plane quite well, I think. Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, as 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 an uh, like an overall advice, if you can go if you can go that broad, when when someone is struggling with uh, vulnerability, how can they resolve that issue? In relationship. Okay. Yes, it's a paradox. Very typically. The one who's struggling doesn't accept themselves enough. This is a lifelong journey and you need a lot of support and encouragement. But here's the paradox. The partner very often accepts them far more than they do themselves. Mm. It's a strange business. The secret thought is if they knew exactly how bad I really was, they'd run screaming from the room. Well, actually, no, they wouldn't because they already know. And it's okay. may not be perfect, but it's okay. And here, that's a real paradox in relationship where the, the self-image and the self-confidence and the self-acceptance of one partner may be far less than the other one. And you can learn from your partner. You can say, instead of accusing them of having bad judgment for liking you, you can say, what do you see in me? It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful discussion. Because they'll describe your true self back to you if they love you. Mm. They won't describe your false self, the one you construct, your personality that keeps the world at arm's length and doesn't let people intrude too viciously. They won't tell you anything about that because that needs a lot of work. <laughs> But your true self doesn't need any work at all. It's a fantastic thing. And you get glimpses of other people's true selves From time to time, it's it's a wonderful experience. So, if if I'm going to be giving advice about this, it's um, take the authentic feedback from your partner about your true self, and look at their true self in relationship, and that'll be the way to go. That'll be your watchword. All the other mistakes and difficulties and problems of the world and who got elected president, are totally irrelevant in relationship. Why should they intrude? And this relationship is your best chance to be yourself and to be authentic and to accept yourself and actually to end up being as close as you can be. That's called intimacy. Mm. I like that answer. Fantastic thing. Mm. Yeah. And, and um, f for someone who isn't in a relationship who struggles with being vulnerable, how can he or she resolve that issue? And maybe, you know, <laughs> keep keeping in mind that that person wants to be in a relationship. Yeah. Well, there's the inner world and the outer world. Often the outer world intrudes so much that it brings up that fear reaction 
the mind has such a fantasy about how the people are going to judge you and find you wanting and that it's obvious that you're not good enough because so many people have implied that with their criticism and their humiliating comments. So in a way you have to ignore a lot of that rubbish and start getting legitimate feedback from the real world. Um, everybody doesn't win a prize in this kind of situation. I mean, there are plenty of things you can't do. Most people are not going to climb Everest or even want to. But there are plenty of things you could do if you don't talk yourself out of it. <coughs> and one of them is being good enough. I think that's a really legitimate aim for most people. Not perfect, but good enough. Mm. If you're a mother, you can be a good enough mother. If you're a partner, you can be a good enough partner. And if you're a person, you can be a good enough person. But people don't go for that. They want to be perfect. Or if there's the least little fault, it's like, oh, game over. What a shame. If you, if you go down to any parking lot of any major grocery store and have a look at all the couples going in and out, you'll be able to tell straight away that nearly all of them are not perfect physically. And I can guarantee you from my work as a therapist that they're not perfect emotionally or mentally either. Never mind. Mm. They're probably quite happy in their own way. Mm. So the, the short answer is everybody wants the same thing. And if you allow life to give you the feedback and you look at it very carefully, you'll probably get the response about your true self that you're actually looking for. But sometimes you need a bit of encouragement and support. And some people need some therapy too because mm. they just can't see it all by themselves. Mm. In fact, there's nothing like someone um, admiring you and loving you as a partner to completely change your whole sense of identity and self-concept. Yeah. It really helps. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tremendous addition. Yeah. That's because we're social animals. Mm. Yeah. Mm. E even what you say about uh, therapy, like I've uh, said this on the show a bunch of times, I think. Like I've been working with my own coach for uh, <clears throat> uh, for five years, week in, week out. Mm. And um, yeah. she, she definitely helped me shift my whole concept of myself. Um, you know, yes. I, th I thought all sorts of things about myself that weren't really true. And um, for, for just as as a, as a quick example, I thought I was pretty stupid, and she helped me uh, see that I was intelligent, or at least you know somewhat. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah. But that's quite a re revelation if you if you hear someone that you admire a lot say that to you authentically uh, over and yeah. over again, and bring that back to you, then that actually starts yeah. to shift how you see yourself internally. That's the reality testing, yes. Yeah. Like Michelle Obama and Barack Obama. Does anybody doubt that Michelle is an equal partner in their relationship? And what a fantastic woman. I mean, what a, what a partner she must be, mm. in my opinion. Mm. I mean, my wife has taught me nearly everything I know about relationship. I also remember that when a number of um, CEOs in America... Uh, dealing with multi-million dollar businesses were, were asked about the number one quality they admire most in their partners, if their wives mostly they all nominated the one thing, 
just about, and nobody has ever been able to guess this, it was guidance. They valued their wives' guidance. Wow. How about that? No, that wouldn't be my guess. Well, it's a typical <laughs> man. Men need a lot of guidance, they <laughs> <really> do. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Yeah, having a partner sure beats not having a partner, so I'd like to encourage all your listeners to think about that. It it's, uh, makes a big difference. Hmm. Hmm. Um, David, if I could have asked you something um, that would have allowed you to share something wise about vulnerability what would my question have been and how would you answer it um i I wouldn't define it as an abnormal thing i think it's part of the human condition i think overcoming that as much as you can is a real key to being a good friend a good partner and a good parent so take heart because everybody starts off vulnerable totally vulnerable and you build up your strength and resilience as you go along and it requires a lot of courage to be authentic and be your true self with another person anyone for any reason and then you choose your time and place and you see how it works out and good luck if you choose the right person it's the most phenomenal thing Mm. nice Um, thank you for that I think that was a great talk uh, appreciate that. If if we if we want to uh, send people to somewhere where they can learn more about what you have to offer, where where would they go? Gee, that's a good question. Hmm. Because <laughs> you know, my first response is. <laughs> uh, it's about getting a partner who can help you and support you and you become a team where, where one plus one equals three. <laughs> I don't know where you go to find that sort of person. It's, it's a very lucky business. I think, you, I, mean, I, think, I think you misinterpreted the question. That was a bit difficultly uh, <laughs> stated. but <laughs> You mean a resource. A resource. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but I'm synthesizing a lot of what I've learned um, through psychotherapy and my own personal experience as a family person. So where would you go for a resource? Well, there are there are people who have written books on the subject, but this is a little cool, a little dry, you know what I mean? There's a book called How to Be Your Own Best Friend, but it's just a book, really. It's, this is a, almost a human-to-human teaching, what we're talking about. There's only The only proof that ever sorts out this problem is feedback from the real world from another person. Mm. You can't do it in isolation, and there's a limit to what you can actually learn from any resource. You, all it does is prime you to get ready. It's like reading books about the martial arts. You can read them until the cows come home, but actually it's better to have a teacher and uh, have a few bouts and see what happens. Yeah. So I can't, I can't really answer that question. The short answer would be... Um, have some sessions with a good therapist and see what it brings you. That would be the quickest way. Hmm. You get the benefit of their learning and knowing. Nice. Okay, well, 
on on that uh, final answer. Thank you, uh, thank you very much, uh, David. I uh, appreciate you being on the show and sharing about this. And um, thank you. Thank you, Sebastian. All right. Hope you enjoyed that. Now, I've created something really awesome for you to get rid of your social anxiety. And this resource is completely free. It's called the Social Confidence Starter Kit. And I've been able to put this kit together as a result of, you know, overcoming my own social anxiety, coaching socially anxious clients to social confidence for thousands of hours in the past seven years, and interviewing over 60 experts on this podcast. Now, this is a very powerful resource. And, you know, I recently read a comment from someone who said that he reduced his social anxiety with 40% using just this starter kit alone. Now, in this starter kit, you'll get three resources. First resource is an ebook called How to Overcome Social Anxiety Completely. And in that ebook, I share why you can be completely anxiety free and I demonstrate how to do that. I also share an audio file in the starter kit where I share my entire story from social anxiety to social confidence. And, you know, I share the crazy things I did and tried that didn't really work. And, what, and I share what eventually helped me to become completely anxiety free. And last but certainly not least, the kit contains an 11-part video series where I teach you the basics of EFT tapping, which is one of the most powerful techniques that I've used to overcome my own social anxiety. And it's, it's the main technique that I use to help my coaching clients achieve social confidence. And I'm not just teaching it to you. I'm also guiding you through an experience of it so that you can feel the emotional relief, the calming down of your anxiety, so that you get to experience actual change happening within your body. Now you can get your free starter kit by going to social-anxiety-solutions.com forward slash social-anxiety-starter-kit. Now that's the, you know, not a very easy URL to go to. So you can also just go to social anxiety solutions with an S at the end, it's plural.com. And then in the navigation bar at the top, you click on overcome social anxiety and that will bring you there as well. All right, talk to you next time. Bye for now. <laughs>